conversation series where v and i sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a red-eye flight late at night when the world is asleep all sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas we got a few topics today v but uh i think we should go ahead and start with the trending topic the uh world cup here it's been kind of crazy over there in qatar and i've heard um, you know, from some of the uh, fans who have been over there, that it's been a pretty good time. We covered a little bit going into this about like all the last minute changes, like no alcohol vendors last minute, and ton of the political controversy around it. But it's it's panned out to be a pretty interesting, pretty interesting one with uh, some surprises, like Morocco, for example, making their way, you know, forward. Um, Portugal falling out of the World Cup as well, um, maybe a little bit earlier than people thought. Uh, what has been? I know you're you're a lot deeper into this than I am. What what have been your kind of like core exciting moments, takeaways, and surprises with this? I mean, the most the most exciting thing for me has been the fact that uh, Lionel Messi has a chance uh, to get that ever fleeting World Cup trophy that continues to be the one thing that kind of people hold against him and his legacy as kind of the greatest soccer player of all time. Um, not fully understanding, like, it doesn't matter how good of an individual you, player you are in soccer. It's, it takes a lot of variables to come together for you to actually win uh, a trophy like the World Cup. Um, but as I've watched this, specifically with the start at the outset of the World Cup, People thought um, they had the biggest upset in the World Cup when Saudi Arabia actually beat Argentina, and everybody was like, okay, Argentina's choking, Messi's not going to make it. They haven't lost a match since. And what's been kind of uh, specifically rewarding is it's been kind of, you're seeing him kind of have a different type of attitude. He's kind of always been this kind of soft-spoken, nice guy, but he has an axe to grind with a lot of people uh, after the last match, uh, uh, the match against the Netherlands, he actually went up to the coach who had been very critical of him before the match uh, and, and was talking, <laughs> kind of got in his face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's just interesting to see, you know, see it happen and also just like to see how important it is. And the reality is this guy really is in every World Cup Argentina's played. Uh, he literally, if one man can take a team to a championship, he literally has done that by carrying this team on his back, putting it on his back. Um, and on the contrast to that, the other kind of GOAT candidate, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, you're seeing more of a decline um, in his play, the controversy. He seems like a guy that's dealing with the reality that he is not quite as good as he was, and he's still great. But it's he's having a lot of trouble both at his club and with Portugal, kind of accepting the reality of of his decline. Um, and it's it's been interesting to see that kind of the contrast in those two guys. Obviously, Messi is a couple of years younger, 
The other thing is obviously Morocco um, being the first African nation. They lost today to France, but the first uh, African nation and also kind of representing that area, Middle East and the Islamic community, um, to see them make a run uh, this far and, and kind of captivate that area that's, you know, needs a lot of need some positivity because those people deal with a lot of negative negative energy a lot of times to have something that kind of unites the Arab world and the Middle East and the Islamic world in a positive manner has been great to see. It's well disappointing that they lost uh, France uh, representing representing the colonists uh, <laughs> uh, made the final and it's going to be a great final between Argentina and uh, and uh, and France. Yeah, but France has, being, France has looked pretty pretty tough too. I mean, they're always always good, but I saw them um, beat up on England just recently as well. And uh, this is going to be a, a definite coin toss of a game. Like as is, as soccer goes, like you have no idea what you're expecting when the game starts because it's so low scoring. It could really go either way. Yeah, that's the beauty of soccer for people who don't who aren't fans of soccer. Like it's so boring. It's like no, it's like. I look at it in a lot of ways like it's the same thing that it takes to be successful in business and in life, right? It takes us a lot of patience, a lot of discipline for that one moment, that one breakthrough moment or that one tipping point moment. Um, you have to essentially execute perfectly to get there. And I think that's the thing that makes for soccer fans make soccer so um, fascinating and exciting to watch is just how much the difference how small of a margin there is between winning winning and losing like you know even a, a team like morocco getting through to the to the semifinals that no one expected them to as an underdog or a team like croatia in the last two world cups in the last one making it to the final and this time making it to the semifinals is it's pretty exhilarating to watch and then also what makes the world cup kind of cool is all the controversy leading into the world cup about uh qatar but much of it was fair the way that this world cup was get granted to the country all of the kind of bribes and things that went into it uh, i think were important to highlight but to kind of see that when that first kick happened that all that controversy kind of subsided and the world came together to around this sport to watch the game um kind of putting a lot of that stuff to the side i think was valuable and also like i think it's important despite how you feel about the government the rules and the laws are the laws over there alcohol is strictly prohibited it's nice to see uh a world cup in which you know i, I it sucked for the sponsor because they spent a lot of money but it was nice to see that that didn't impact the energy of the stadiums, the lack of the lack of alcohol sales or the strict adherence to some of the laws uh, of that country. Yeah, I haven't heard any stories of uh, anyone getting arrested or anything like that. But I think it's definitely like an important exercise to hold um, events like this in countries that aren't like your typical, you know, westernized democracy, at least in how they operate, because I think it gives us more empathy toward each other. Like people are born in that country every day. They grow up in those same rules and same structural guidelines. And so there's no reason that those people are, are less worthy than somebody in a, you know, quote unquote, freer nation to, uh, yep. 
be able to experience those things close up. So I think there's something really special in, you know, treating everybody as equal and not, not, you know, reverse discriminating because we don't like how they're governed. Yeah. And if anything, it's an opportunity to, to learn about people, despite the differences. Um, like you said, a lot of these things are deep rooted society, just like there are certain societal standards in the U S um, it's not these people's fault all the time that, um, and they're dealing with them too internally. You know, I know big, big issue was with, you know, that was, that was highlighted was the LBGTQ community, lack of acceptance of that in, in Qatar and pretty much throughout the Middle East. There are people there who, who are suffering from it much more than we are just being able to say, oh, you should have the right. There are people who are actually suffering and living not living their true selves. So to give them just to, to be able to have the event there and execute and, and be exposed to all these people from different parts of the world in itself is an eye opener and opportunity, probably not only for that government, for the people who live there um, to, to see um, and, and be accepted. Yeah. I think, I think that's an amazing point and, you know, kind of moving from one football to the other, uh, we had a fun uh, football story here in the States. This uh, 12-year-old who happens to look like he's 30 and has played a full NFL career already. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at the photos of, so for those unfamiliar, there's this kid, um, literally he's 12 years old with a mustache who's just massive and is one of the best players, obviously, in their middle school, middle school in the state. And uh, dude, like, even two years ago when he was 10, he had a mustache, but he legit looked like a 10-year-old by face back then. But this 12-year-old's face looks very mature. He looks like one of those guys, like, you remember when Thon Maker went to the NBA? Everyone's like, yo, yeah. he's he's not really his age. He was, like, yeah. actually, like, five years older than they were saying he was. Like, it kind of <laughs> it feels like one of those when you look at it. But honestly, like, it might just be legit, and it just might be a weird scenario. Yeah, I mean, the truth will definitely come out, but the thing that really throws me off more than the mustache is he has like a whole arm sleeve <laughs> of tattoos already on his on his left arm. I don't know too many 12-year-olds, <laughs> parents who would, uh, who or 12-year-olds who could tolerate the pain of uh, putting together a sleeve on their arm at that age, but... Maybe it's true, but I think I think there's going to be uh, the, the the investigators are going to figure out what's really going on here. <laughs> Maybe he's 14, but I don't. I'm sorry. I want to believe his parents. I want to believe the birth certificate, but I don't. I just don't see it. This kid cannot be 12 years old. <laughs> no way. No way. We encourage you to. <laughs> we encourage you to look it up. Uh, do you? He's in Texas too, so. You know, maybe you know I'll go. Maybe, maybe I'll go find him and and get a piece of DNA. <laughs> just go see, just go see him in person and see what's going on. But that's that's crazy. Y'all definitely need to look up the pictures. There's all these videos of him where people are like, "How how old are you? You're you're 12." It's like he looks older than the people shooting videos with him. Yeah, but when he talks, he does sound like a young kid. So. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is interesting, but <laughs> there's so many elements to it. The tattoo sleeve, the, the, the mustache, the face that he looks older than I do. <laughs> yeah. Straight up, straight up side by side. He would look like the oldest out of all of us. 
Yeah. He's <laughs> and he's, you could double his age. He doesn't even get to me. <laughs> What's the opposite of Benjamin Buttons? He's the he's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Where you start. Oh, that is Benjamin Button, right? You start really old and you get younger over oh, time. Oh, yeah, it yeah. is. Benjamin. Maybe he is Benjamin. Maybe he is Benjamin Because <laughs> the opposite of Benjamin Button is just aging. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just regular. Um, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> alongside. That was so funny. Yeah, go ahead. Headphones. That was so funny. My headphones fell off. um alongside that uh this week there was you know i in my view is still a humorous story but the ftx arrest in the bahamas this dude finally finally has at least some form of questioning coming his way but my god man there's no way they're going to be able to get anything to stick here like there's yeah. I was listening to some of the overview of FTX with the new guy who stepped in. He like had to testify at Congress, which terrible job. Like this is the dude who who did the Enron cleanup as well, and yeah. he was just like, "Yeah, like there was no, there's no board." He's like, they were using like QuickBooks to manage ten billion dollars <laughs> on their books, and it must have been like one of those like five hundred dollar a month like you know, external CFO things where they like literally had no idea what was going on. And I saw another interview from the kid where he's like, he's like, yeah, that 5 billion, you know, once it went to, uh, to Alameda, I have no idea what happened to it. And it's just like, <laughs> these are, this is a clearly like a very ridiculous situation. And like the unfortunate thing is many people, you know, are, are impacted by that. But what's also been funny to me about it is watching Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank go on TV and you know act like this was the biggest tragedy for him. I saw I saw him on an interview where um, the the uh, host was just like, "Hey, like, why are you acting sad? Like, you did pretty good here." And he's like, "Well, I lost fifteen million dollars." And he's like, "But did you lose 15? He's like, "Well, I was paid fifteen for endorsing it, and you know." I lost 10. I made five. <laughs> and the guy's like, so so you actually did pretty good for not a lot of work here. And you're acting like a victim, man. Like, maybe you need to just calm down a little bit. I just thought it was like, when they, yeah. <laughs> when they say billionaires live in a different stratosphere, a different world than the rest of us, uh, that's definitely that's definitely the case with Kevin O'Leary. And I think more than anything, his emotions are hurt. Because he was advocating how trustworthy this guy was, that this, yeah. he's like the most trustworthy one person in the crypto world. So he's trying to save face here, um, especially now that it's been exposed that he had some incentive. <laughs> it seemed like $15 million in incentive. A lot of incentive. To, to do so. But I think the, the, the larger issue here to me is... Uh, we're going to make this about SBF, but uh, there's two sides to this. One, this crypto world of like, oh, we need to deregulate. We can only trust the, the people within the crypto world. No, power corrupts, money corrupts, doesn't matter how well-intentioned people are, that when they start seeing that there's something that happens to the human mind psychologically, that there always has to be some sort of regulatory system of checks and balances. The flip side of this is, is the SEC <laughs> the best body to actually do this? Because these cases keep coming. Why do the Madoffs happen? Why do the FTXs happen? 
Why do all these scenarios keep happening over and over and over again? And by the time that it's figured out, everybody's already lost. And the person that's putting being put on trial is an individual. But are we reflecting and looking on our system and saying, how is it possible for a company like this to grow to this size with zero regulation and to build a business kind of the way that it did? Because these are all giant Ponzi schemes. It's pretty simple. Get a whole bunch of celebrities to say that you're trustworthy. Keep bringing money in, create a coin, basically create a currency out of nowhere with some code and build up its valuation based on nothing. Um, It's it's pretty crazy. That's a strange part of the whole thing. And then I think, I mean, crypto in general has had that problem where like 90% of things are not actually tied to any real value. And that's been like the biggest criticism of the space. But alongside of that, I agree with your point in terms of institutional failure. Like, this was pretty easy to see coming for the last decade, knowing crypto's <laughs> yeah. unregulated. Part of me wonders, too, um, I've read rumblings that the Federal Reserve is restructuring things in terms of their relationships with the banks to be moving from paper currency to completely digital, which would be based on a federal coin. And so part of me wonders. If, you know, this is an advantageous situation from like a government perspective to be able to lean in and and essentially come with an offering that is in this kind of forward technologically advanced space, but comes with the backing and protection you get of the U.S. government, you know, for these kind of these kind of situations. Right. And it's like. It's an interesting scenario. I'm not saying the two are related, but I'm just saying that this creates a really opportune time if you're the federal government to make that push into crypto because now it's been exposed just how untrustworthy a lot of the market can be and how you're not really protected. And people always talk about like, oh, crypto is protected because it can't be hacked. Well, that's great. It can't be hacked. But if the person who's holding the coins runs off with all the coins, then you know there's an issue there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't see. I don't know where I fall on on this because um, I'm I'm kind of like right right down the middle. I, I pretty much when crypto was rising, that was always kind of my skepticism with it. Although um, it was it was that I was like, what's going to prevent the governments from just creating their own coin and saying, "Get out of here," you know? What I mean, we're backed, we're secure, and you've got the backing of of the government and more importantly you've got the backing of the government's weapons right <laughs> to, right to, to to enforce enforce this that's what i was always skeptical of of what is the long-term um opportunity or value here especially once it becomes regulated because one of the things i thought was people underestimate just how large the black market economy global economy is and i thought okay if it's unregulated what these cryptos are essentially are going to be is going to be the filtration system or the exchange system for um, the black market economy. Um, and early on, that's what Bitcoin was, um, the dark web. It was the, it was the currency of choice within the dark web. Um, but I don't know what's, what, you know, it, it, the reality is, is that with all things, a small group of people made a lot of money here. Um, but the long-term viability of this product is definitely in question. 
or these products. Let me say these products. Or, or the maybe. way that value is measured around and transacted around these products. Yeah. I think the, the value in this is obviously the blockchain technology as a secure way to transmit information and transmit uh, trans- specifically information. Maybe it's not for currency exchange, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, I think that's that's a good take on this. There's definite value to the security advancements that have come from blockchain, but it's to 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 put it as a store of wealth at such an early stage. And you know, I think the FTX is like an outlier to the whole crypto conversation because it was embezzlement quite directly. And it's embezzlement without the protections of the SEC because it's an un, it's in an unregulated space that is slightly regulated but not really regulated. And you know, you know what I thought was so funny is like I, I keep seeing these memes and tweets all over, which are like, um, you know, these guys lose ten billion dollars. You know, U.S. government is fine. You know, forty billion dollars yeah. sent that way, they're fine. But you didn't pay six hundred dollars in taxes. Well, they're on your ass about it, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just yeah. like I think it's it's you know for the regular person who watches these things happen, I think that's who you know we all as a society need to start thinking about and answering to because all this does is breed more distrust in the government if you know SBF isn't charged because there there isn't really anything to charge them on, right? But with all of these big names backing this thing if there isn't some sort of you know meaningful resolution that that comes across as for the people it's going to lead to increased destability especially with the markets where they are right now with so many people out of savings and struggling and i i don't think it comes out today but it'll probably come out when this episode does um whether the fed chooses to do another interest rate hike or not but we're definitely in, you know, a pretty deep spot kind of macroeconomically where there's been a huge slowdown and a lot of people have been, you know, pretty heavily leveraged out of positions that they were holding um, who are not the big fish at the table. So I, I think that all of this is adding up to, you know, a question that needs to be answered, which is just like, what what is going to happen and how is the the regular person you know that's not making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year going to be protected in this country from a financial perspective yeah that is the most important thing because that's that's the reality of the people who made money in the crypto space were the people who were already wealthy by the time that information filtered down to the average person or the average investor it's been in the last few years where there's really been an uptick and those are the people that are holding the bag, not the people who, you know, were involved very early on, had the information early and made nominal investments. Like if you invested even today in today's value of Bitcoin, if you invested 10000 in Bitcoin, you know, 12 years ago or 10 years ago, you've still done very, very well on the currency. Um so the the issue is really in the last few years, the people who got as the information's filtered down, as the media has jumped on the big the 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 cryptocurrency wagon, those are the people that are being left holding the bag, and they're the people that can least afford to lose it. Um, which is again something that's a, that's just a reminder of how society kind of works. I read an interesting stat the other day 
I don't know if, you know, I wasn't able to fully verify, but it seemed to make sense, at least superficially, where it said that uh, 85% of the world, um, people in the world are followers. 10% of the people in the world are people who create things. Um, and they have the most power because they dictate to the 85%. And then there's only 5% of people who just sit and observe how the world works and what's going on without necessarily being a follower or a creator, but they just are the observers or, or, or paying attention to trends mm. and how they're happening and human behavior and how it's happening. Um, I guess you would put the philosophers into that category of the observers, right? Um, and it just goes to show you like that power of that, that small percentage of people who are creating things, how much power is in their hands. Um, and the most exa recent example is this character SBF. He was able to create a lot of power and create something just by being innovative and thinking about something in a way other people didn't and capitalizing and creating an economy around it and a system around it, which, should, which is admirable for him to have that kind of initiative and innovation to see that opportunity. But the problem is that he, that same power is what has led to this collapse that has cost a lot of other people who didn't create this, who believed in what he created, um, being hurt by it. And that's yeah. just the nature of the world, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting study to be honest. And I wonder, I wonder too, like where things spread, like I could see people's roles changing based on the vertical you're talking about based on the industry yep. you're talking about like i would be probably a creator in some categories and a consumer and follower and many others and an yes. observer in, in a few and so that's that's like a really interesting way to put it and there's certain categories in which being an observer has significant financial upside relative to other categories mm -hmm. i mean if the the real the reality is that's what warren buffett has built his entire empire on is observing paying attention to long-term trends and making decisions based on those trends. Like it, within this crypto space from the outset, he's had no hesitation to say, look, this doesn't make sense. So it doesn't matter how much value people are saying it's creating, there is no underlying value here. So I'm not going to put my money into it. And people really were very critical of him over the last 10 years, basically calling him an old grouch. But I think the reality is, is that he's someone through his long experience in the world has observed many things like cryptocurrency and different, it wasn't cryptocurrency, but saw the same elements and observed the same elements over the course of his life and said, hey, this has the same, same traits as all of these things that happened before. I've observed them. I've seen them. Let me steer clear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a good point. And it's like, you have so many people in each of these waves that wins big in the short term and, yep. you know, some time will pass. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're out of the market and the people who came in, cause they talked about how much money they made are all the ones holding the bag who lose. So it's this cycle with, you know, we, you saw it in, you can see it in tech, you can see it in, you know, crypto, you can see it in every single industry, but it's like the people who make the money make like a ridiculous amount of money for the time 
early are always the ones who go around, talk about it, and then in overinflate the value of the market. That's always like that's an interesting phenomenon. In yeah, general. and I think I think also I think it takes, and this is uh this is something that I really value from being, you know, an investor. Sometimes it's frustrating because it's very a very passive exercise in ways because you personally don't have a lot of control over the actions of what you're investing in. Um, but what I do like about it is it teaches you the discipline to not make the mistake of just because something is trending to know, okay, well, there's risk associated with this. Let me put 1%. Um, let me put an amount that isn't going to cost me my livelihood or debilitate me into this. I see the value. I see the trend. Let me put something into it, but let me not make the mistake of going all in or making all in type of decisions that can cost you, <laughs> cost you big. There are a lot of people who have, this is bankrupted. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolute truth. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see as more of this FTX stuff rolls out. Um, I also wanted to mention the, uh, the, um, Harry and Megan doc that went on Netflix. So I only saw a couple clips. I didn't watch the uh, show, obviously, because I don't really care about them. But I saw <laughs> saw this clip that just had me laughing, where Megan was just like mocking the royal family and all of the things that they do, all their like formal kind of like um, you know curtsying and stuff like that. And you could see just on Harry's face, just this like shock that she was, it was like this clip, I guess they were talking to Oprah about it or whatever, but my God, man, like if, if there's anything more to what I saw, like, I think it confirms what most people felt about the whole situation, which was that like this whole situation was somebody who didn't really understand the customs of, you know, that culture and the Royal culture stepping into it, wanting to be treated like the most important person when literally on the paper, they were not the most important person the queen was and getting frustrated that they weren't getting the attention they wanted. And then, you know, flaming out of that situation. Yeah. And, and more importantly, it's like, again, this goes back to the, the, the 85, <laughs> 10, five kind of situation, how much this people don't see this for what it actually is. Here are people who are extremely critical of the attention that they garnered from being royals, yet they wanted to have a royal wedding. She wanted the wedding with all the attention and all the media. She wants to monetize, and they want to monetize the story. They're doing the same thing that these gossip people are doing by selling this content, and they're, they're, they're basically inside info to Netflix for millions of millions of dollars. Um, and saying, oh, we're victims. And it's like, it's so funny to me that there's actually a, a, a swath of people. This has people divided. There are people who are on Harry and Meghan's side. There are people who are on the, the monarchy side. I was like, no, there is no side here. There are some, some, some traits and things. The importance that's placed on this monarchy, considering the history of what monarchies have done, that continues to be placed in in England is antiquated and 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 needs to be understood. Like you guys need to value these people a lot less. They're not that important. And the second part of it is is that if you are just like anything else, 
if you are going to marry into a culture like that, you know that you are marrying into having to observe the rules and regulations that come with it. Um, there are no innocent parties here. And then, you know, I, every time I open Google or Yahoo, it's at the top of the trending topics. And I'm just like, why do people care about this this much? Why do people tune into it? I guess it's the same reason people tune into soap operas. These are real life soap operas going on. But the hypocrisy, just the underlying hypocrisy of it is so blatant that it's like, for me, sometimes I just like scratch my head and like, do not people not see what this is? Like, they're they're not good people. They're just they're just they're selling they're selling out for themselves. Like it just it's it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I I think it's very much a, a strange subculture. It's one I I never have understood, but I know like a ton a ton of women that are very into the whole monarchy and mm -hmm. the drama associated. And there's that show. The Crown, which I recently found out is actually based on real events. So it seems to be like a huge pop culture phenomenon that, yeah, personally, like I never was really raised to care about this. Uh, I think for obvious reasons with the cultural background. So it's just not, not an area of interest, but I agree with you. I think it's like watching the Kardashians in a sense where you're like, yeah. you're taking sides amongst rich people having catty fights that aren't important when they could be spending their energy helping, helping people and doing good for the world. You look at like Queer Eye, this is a very marginalized group of people that are spending all their energy trying to help others. And you look at, you know, the royal families, the governments, the politicians, they spend all their time having these small squabbles with each other not taking a second to think outside of themselves. And I think it's just a pretty important, um, pretty important thing to just acknowledge is that these, uh, these people are not, you know, they're not your heroes. They're not fighting for you. They don't care what happens to you at all. <laughs> they just want you to consume their content and uh, pay more bills so that they can go take more private jets and get into more drama for you to consume. <laughs> yeah, poor Harry and Megan living in a $100 million mansion in California. We should really feel sorry for them. <laughs> you know? It's bizarre. It's honestly <laughs> bizarre, dude. And, like, I, I haven't, like, run into them anywhere or anything like that. But what, what I can say is, like, the whole idea of this celebrification and the way that it's taking form in today's society with all the documentaries around people and stuff, it just seems like a lot. It seems like a lot to be a part of. And it just seems like genuinely like very much like Icarus and, you know, <laughs> flying close to, close to the sun. Like it seems like somewhere you just, you just want to stay a little bit away from it. Yeah, you do. And it's like, it's, there's so much information and drama that's happening at all times. I mean, I, I tell you this all the time. This is why I, I stay off of these platforms unless I'm actually seeking information. I want to be very specific in what I'm seeking. But if you just let the content come to you, even on Netflix, when you turn on Netflix, this is going to be the headline, the first thing that you see on the Netflix box. You know what I mean? So it's like there's a lot of this. You're being force fed it. A lot of information about people that I don't care about everybody's trying to be a celebrity and it's like it's like it's also the mimicking of the 
the behavior patterns that they think is going to draw themselves the same attention that these people get by doing these things, the Kardashians, like everybody trying to follow kind of their playbook, for example. It's just really, really, uh, I think, the degradation of individuality and the degradation of, you know, of seeking your purpose um, in society is something that continues to be very disturbing for me. And I know in many ways it makes me a social outcast um, to kind of, and, and people don't like it. Oh, you have to accept new technology. I was like, I do. I'm on these platforms, but no, I don't need them to dictate and run my life for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's a good, it's a good takeaway in general that whenever you are on anything, you're being served things in a certain way. And as long as you can separate the fact that, like, don't allow confirmation bias to be a thing. Don't just because you see the same thing many times doesn't make it more true. (laughs) That's like in real life, maybe it does, but on the internet, it does not because it's (laughs) there's a distribution bias there. You're being served content they think you're going to agree with. Yeah, yeah, and they're also going to they're observing every piece of behavior. That like I know, for example, like based on my Google searches, when I go on Instagram and Twitter, I'm going to be served content based on those searches. You know what I mean? And the more you see something, that's the the more you're going to believe it. And it's like these people are just just always understand that computers are better at this than you are. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. and uh, on on. That note too, just wanted to mention one other thing that's been trending a bunch actually is chat GPT. It's this AI chat bot that I highly recommend everybody go play with it. Just Google chat GPT. It's on a website called OpenAI. You can use it for free. But basically, like you can do anything with this thing. You can ask it to write paragraphs of content for you. You can ask it to make lists of things for you. You can ask it to give you perspectives on things. It can write screenplays like the, the power of this thing is unbelievable. And playing around with it, I was really impressed with the quality of writing. So it legitimately feels like somebody else's writing. And it also got me thinking, like, if you wanted to use something like that for misinformation, it would actually be quite easy when you would prompt it to get it to write from a perspective that you wanted information to be from make thousands of those articles, populate sites, and then, you know, very quickly be able to influence an entire population to believe a certain, you know, movement or idea is very rapidly circulating and growing. So just something to keep in mind is that it's easier than ever now to fake things, to position things, and to write from different perspectives, because even computers can do that. So we all have to be much, yeah, much it's... more delicate with this. And you also have to really understand things. And you, with going with your trend, you and I have known about this for a while now. But the past two weeks, everyone posting their their AI generated pictures. It's like, don't you realize that that's just a distraction for you? Um, and, and and to go further into what you're saying is like that tool. We are becoming aware of it now, but. Other people have been aware of it and probably been utilizing it for much longer periods of time. That's how so much information is constantly being proliferated on the internet, on these social media platforms. Um, A lot of these characters and even people, individuals who have profiles are fake. Yeah. So just that's, that's the thing to always understand that 
those platforms are platforms for entertainment and engagement. Um, but you know, always be always have a a healthy dose of skepticism. Don't be overly skeptical, but just know what to use platforms for and what not to use them for. Yeah. You know, what would be a fascinating study that is now popping into my head is if I were to take that and ask it to write tweets as if I was like a, you know, entrepreneur that want to be followed or something like that and schedule all those in a tweet scheduler and just see how they do. Yeah. You know, because it's I mean, scraping everything that works. Like theoretically, it should, it'll likely do better than I do. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I was going to go to the AI generator and tell it to manipulate me. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just manipulate curious. Bees, manipulate bees mind to become become <laughs> social media addict. <laughs> no, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting though the the types of things you can generate. So you know, if you are if you if you do like playing with uh, new new types of tools, I highly recommend that. Um, but definitely interesting implications has uh, the ability to take a lot of the rote work we do, especially in the creative fields, out of the mix, so that you know taste really becomes the primary differentiator between creatives, not technical skills. So very interesting. Very high impact for blogs, brand building, online content, writing, etc. So if you're into that space, feel free. Uh, but I think that brings us to the end end of this red eye. Looks like the uh, pilot's getting us to put our seatbelts back on. V. Um, so on that note, just want to remind everyone to be your be you. You is fly. Pilot boys, we get on up. Fly, boy.